Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Classic Sabres Podcast, brought to you by NPR. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Guys, it's the Clashing Sabers podcast. We are here. And that other voice you heard, you know what? Why don't you you come join me up front here? Yeah, in the in the front seat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, we're short one. We we are. Um is that a short joke this early in the show? Really? <laughs> she is more near and dear to my heart than the gif of Cara Dune holding baby Yoda. Oh. Yeah. You know how much that means. Ladies and gentlemen, my co-pilot, Lindsay. Oh, man. I don't know what's better about that gift, too. It, it literally sustains my life at times. It's so good. I scrolled past it the other day, and I was like, well, just got to stop what I'm doing for a while. I just It just randomly pops in my head sometimes. And I'm just like, oh, Cara Dune held baby Yoda. It's so beautiful. <laughs> We don't deserve this. We don't. We don't deserve either of them, but they are here, and I am grateful. And on that note, we are talking about The Mandalorian tonight. Uh, we are going to delve into uh, not the not every episode of the season or even the overall season. We actually have an episode uh, coming out of Forever Star Wars that Mark has put together that will be coming out later this week, so make sure you are subscribed to the network. That will cover the entire season but we're going to look at particular moments and do our top three bottom three mandalorian moments but before we get into that it's been quite some time uh it feels like years almost because of how crazy the holidays were and then getting back to school and everything that we've actually sat down and talked so Lindsay, this is the first time you and i have podcasted in 2020 it's pretty exciting oh <gasps> It is. I didn't even think of that. A whole new decade of podcasting with you. Oh, it's going to be. What have you gotten yourself into? I just feel I feel bad for you at times. You know what? We're in it together. So we'll we'll make the best of it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make the best of what we have. I got it. Caden from Rebel Cause, Bill from Happy Beeps and Zach from Sith Talk on and talk to them about what they are most looking forward to, what they are Star Warsing in 2020. So, Lindsay, I want to ask you the same thing. What are you looking forward to Star Warsing in 2020? Ooh, you know, it's obviously and I'll, I'll pick a different different one because I think this is so obvious, but it's going to celebration. You know, it's, it's our first time as all of us at the network being able to all go together and share that weekend. Um, so, I mean, celebration for me is just constantly a highlight of the year, but now to be able to get to actually share it with you, with Adriana, with Mark, with Drew, you know, that's, that's going to be a big one for me. It's going to be like the family getting back together. Um, but I, I think it's tough with the exception of that to really say, because even here, 10 days now, as we're recording this 10 days into the new year, we don't fully know what's 
coming out this year. We still we don't, don't know what Project Luminous is. We don't know what other TV show announcements they're going to make. Of course, I'm excited for Clone Wars and for The Mandalorian, but I can't wait to learn more about Kenobi, about the Cassian Andor show, and then see what else they're going to plan on do to do after that. So I don't know. I, I think overall, just for right now, just the announcements that are going to come this year. Yeah, I was looking at the the books that are coming out. And of course, we do Don't Burn the Sacred Text, um, our book podcast. And there's only like three new book releases that are coming out. And I feel like we got that we got that many books in the lead up to Rise of Skywalker. So I'm hoping that once we get to uh, Project Luminous, which I... Charles Sewell uh, tweeted earlier, I, I don't know exactly when, um, somebody reposted it on Facebook uh, and said Project Luminous is coming, an announcement at least is coming soon. How soon the actual product is coming, we don't know. But yeah, I think the thing, mine is kind of similar. I am Star Warsing the fact that we are getting away from the saga. Um, it just feels good to know that there's potential for all these new stories, all these new things that aren't stuck to the way things have always been done. You know, like Star Wars is the poetry, it rhymes, you know, we say it as a joke, but it's also true. But also the ones that delve away from that are very refreshing. Like every time I watch Rogue One or Solo, I just feel refreshed. Not that I don't like the the saga. Obviously, I love it, um, and I, and I enjoy watching it every time. But it's just a different feeling, and I like the different feelings that Star Wars can give. And so I'm looking forward to seeing kind of like you are Cassian Kenobi, but more so just the different avenues that they're going to take for storytelling um, in both the medium and the types of stories that they tell. Yeah, I was really encouraged by at least the first two episodes of Vader Immortal, not only because those parts of the story were so good, but just because it showed that they're they're willing to expand a little bit and it doesn't just have to be on the big screen, but they really do want to see where else they can take us, but mostly how else they can get us involved in the story. So I'm really hoping that they kind of embrace... Um, not the virtual reality so much because it's not as easily accessible for everyone, but I hope they do a lot more, um, kind of like fan based social media stuff in different ways to, again, get us involved in the story the way that they have in the past year and a half. Yeah. I think they should absolutely like do that for Clone Wars, you know, because the likelihood that you're going to get a lot of new people into Clone Wars with season seven is very limited. Um, but the, the fans that are dedicated to clone wars are obviously very passionate about it. And so if you can do something there that gets them talking and gets more people excited about star Wars, there's, there's a lot of potential for really everything because we live in this age where literally the, the technology, the medium is not an issue. Like they're, they're basically infinite. You know, if you had told me even five years ago when Disney purchased uh, Lucasfilm that there would be a really well-written Vader virtual reality story, 
I would have like called you an idiot, right? If you had told me that one of your favorite Star Wars character characters will be primarily from a video game when I don't play video games, I would call you crazy. But ladies and gentlemen, we have Aiden Versio. So just and I feel like I mean the the fact that they're making an entire hotel so that you can spend two days immersing yourself in the story. Like, how could we have ever, when we were nine years old, dreamt that this would happen? Or I guess I, I think when we were nine, we probably could have dreamt that. But how as we were teenagers and young adults, we never would have let ourselves even dare to dream that this was possible. But here we are going into a year where we're not even going to have a major movie released for this. And we're still finding ways to put ourselves in the, in all of these stories. You know, I think it's so funny that when you and I record don't burn the sacred text and we just talk about these books, we have the segment where we pick one character or one part of the story and talk about what we would prefer to see you know do we want to see a sequel of this do we want to see a kind of spinoff and we even have to branch out to say it's not even just that i want this in a book i would love to see this as a comic book as a video game as a tv show as an animated show and all of those options are possible now yeah absolutely and and for me i want more of the continued stories and what i mean by that is now afra has kind of fallen off lately for me i've been struggling through the last few of those but say for that um the first i guess the first four maybe five volumes i don't remember what what i'm at now but the first four or five volumes of afra were excellent now it's kind of getting a little too sci-fi for my particular taste um but i still love the character but those those stories that go over longer spans of time, the like I'm very excited for the new Star Wars comic. I enjoyed uh, the first run, like the Charles Soule Vader ones are all really good. The the Mandalorian, obviously, that we're going to talk about these ones that are telling valuable stories and not just well, here's a Obi Wan one shot. Like I, I I want less of like the one shots and the you know small books that don't matter and now you're getting to a point where you can tell these stories because you know how the saga goes and that's kind of your you know that's like your crux that you build around and now you can tell all these stories about Rey's Jedi uh, temple or Luke's Jedi temple or even things that are ancillary to that but you can you know how the characters would be affected because you know what's happening in the overall galaxy. And so I feel like the things that we are getting now should hold, and I, and I think they will hold a lot more weight. Like I think what we're going to get, particularly in Siege of Mandalore, is going to be one of the most impactful pieces of Star Wars that we've ever seen. Like I think it's really going to be an emotional gut punch, and it's going to be something to the level of Ahsoka's leaving the Jedi Order, Mortis... Maul's return that we are talking about 10, 12 years from now. And I'm hoping now, since they have the freedom to tell more different varied stories, that we get those different voices in that can tell those varied stories. And I think we will. I think that's kind of where they're headed. One of the things I'm excited about, too, with all of 
that in mind is the stories, not only the varied voices of who gets to tell them, but the point of view that they get to tell them from. So it's not that I was ever excited for this trilogy, the sequel trilogy to end, but Ray was always my favorite character. And we, we never really got a lot from her in the ancillary material that was always off limits. You know, they wanted to save it for the screen, make sure that they didn't cut themselves off from any potential stories, but now she's fair game. And now we can actually spend, you know, any amount of books, any amount of comic books, really getting to know her, getting to know her voice and who she is off the screen. And we can dive into that character so much more. So I'm really excited, not just about the voices who are telling it, but how they get to tell it and the characters they get to tell it through. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, there's, I should say there's never been a dull year of Star Wars in the past, what, six or seven years that we've had the Disney era, like love it or hate it. It's never been boring. Um, <laughs> so the, the discourse will definitely be there. But one of the things we, we, of course, have to talk about, a major part of the discourse is the collecting and the toys and all the things that you can find over at happybeeps.net. So I'm going to step out of the pilot seat for a minute. I'm going to let Mr. Poe Dameron take it away, and we'll be right back to talk about some Mandalorian toys. Happy Beeps here, buddy. Come on. <laughs> I'm with the droid on this one. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats here. I'm with the droid on this one. Happy beats here, buddy. Come on. Happy beats. I'm with the droid Happy on this here, one. Buddy. Come on. So we're here. We're talking Mandalorian. We're talking toys. And the interesting thing about looking at these charts in particular. So for those of you who are uh, new to the show, we have our friends over at happybeeps.net who have a, it's basically, what would you call it, Lindsay? A database, right? Of collecting that you can explore all kinds of different charts and box office numbers and books. And it's just, it's beyond words how in-depth um, it is, and you can create an account and track your own collecting and stuff like that. But Bill over at Happy Beeps is nice enough to put together some charts for us that we like to go over and discuss. And by go over and discuss, I mean I torment Lindsay and sometimes Drew with them. <laughs> because of- Oh, no, wait, it's the worst because now Drew's not even here to make me look somewhat good. I know. I'm just going to look bad and only bad. Well, and here's the really interesting thing about this is this is like unprecedented for our Happy Beep section because normally we have, we're covering, you know, the original trilogy. So we have 40 something years of history. We have, uh, you know, the, even the sequels, you know, we're able to recall what happened you know five years ago and look at it in the perspective so we can compare it to last jedi now you've got the mandalorian not only have we only had it for a couple months as i mean has it has it even been it's it's been a little over a month we've had it for a little over a month it's the first star wars live almost a month and a half yeah yeah first live action show it's unprecedented for Star Wars, so this is an unprecedented Happy Beeps section here on Clash of Sabres. So, let's get into it. 
we have the the top toys or the number of toys by character and these charts will all be available in the show notes if you want to play along and laugh at Lindsay not while you're driving people <laughs> you have the Mandalorian who is obviously the number one character mm-hmm. I will give you the hint and this is the last time I'm going to be nice to you today so enjoy it it is a number between 1 and 20. How many Mandalorian toys of, of the Mandalorian himself do you think were made? First of all, I feel like 1 through 20 is not a hint. I mean, I'm being generous. It's if you been- had said, like, it's between 6 and 9, that's a hint. I mean, if you think about the perspective that numbers are infinite and I limited it to 20 out of infinity... Oh, what a guy. From a certain a point guy. of view. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't appreciate you. <laughs> I've been telling you that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So just to be clear, though, when we say toys, we are talking Pop Funkos. We're talking Black Series. We're talking the whole gambit, right? The whole kit and caboodle. Okay. Oh, see, this is where it gets tough, too, because I know that the Black Series, they had, like, different packaging. I think those alone had three different packaging. There, ah, oh man, I'm gonna say seven, seven, seven. Was that seven hundred and seventy-seven? Oh, I didn't quite. <laughs> it, that's within one to twenty, right? Yeah, so, something yeah. like that. I don't know. I'm a reading teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's say. Six point nine nine nine. We'll round up to seven. Okay, seven. You would be incorrect. Ah, uh, uh, shocking. I know. I know. There <laughs> were eleven Mandalorian toys, but really, yeah. But here's what's interesting: if you take that number and you subtract your number, you get the number for three other characters. Ooh. Okay. So there were I- three, and this is this is really intriguing to me because it, it shows. I think it shows first and foremost like how little Mandalorian toys are out there uh, right now, which I'm, I'm sure we'll start getting more of them now that they've seen you know how big Baby Yoda is, but also like the other characters and stuff that people have connected with. There's three characters who had four toys each. Okay. Okay. All right. I think I might know. Go for it. I'm going to say Cara Dune is one. Okay. Number two, I'm going to say IJ. Okay. And number three, I mean, I guess I got to say Quill, because I think he is the only one who I really remember coming out on Force Friday. (sighs) I had so much hope. Like, I. I gave you a question with an obvious answer. It, no, wait, who else would it have been? Who else could it be? My son, Baby Yoda. Wait, there aren't any toys of him yet, though. There are four toys of Baby Yoda. The toys are in production, which counts. Man, that would have been such a game changer when I said the Mandalorian toys, too. Drats. You did get Cara Dune, though. Always got to check. 
You did get Cara Dune. Then I... the interesting one is Mandalorian Warrior. So that's just a a basic Mandalorian Warrior, which is it's interesting that that's that high because when you go down, you have uh, Paz Vizsla, which is the the one with the heavy gun. He has two. The armorer has one. Uh, there's a covert Mandalorian who has one. Death Watch Mandalorian. There's there's like a few different variations. Um, but yeah, a Mandalorian just by himself got had, got four toys. So good for him. Okay. Let's go next to the toys by type. Okay. Um, and this is a category that we, we usually talk about. And it contains action figures, bobbleheads, cars, Legos, and plush. I'm going to throw you a softball. What do you think has the most? Um. What do the Funkos categorize under? Do you know? Is it toys or bobbleheads for those? Bobbleheads. Action figures would right. be Black Series, three and three quarter inch, uh, yeah. Galaxy of Adventure type posable figures. You know, I'm actually going to say bobbleheads on this. And I don't know if it's just because that's what I personally pay the most attention to. But I feel like that's been showing up on my timeline a lot more in terms of what's coming out. So, yeah, I'm going to say bobbleheads on this. Lindsay? Oh, I'm wrong. I'm so proud of you. <gasps> no! Yes! I got it? You got it. Yes! I got it! I yes! Was... So normally, normally what is it? Normally it's action figures, right? Always. It's always action figures. So I was totally expecting you to go for action figures. Um, what can i say i'm a genius i mean you're good at what you do what can we say i found my calling well and on our third chart and we'll just discuss this real real quickly is it's really interesting because there were five bobbleheads that came out in 2019 compared to 11 lego sets and in wait say that one more time there were five bobbleheads that came out uh -huh. in 2019. There were 11 Lego sets that came out in 2019. So I'm imagining that would be pretty much Force Friday. Uh -huh. Once we cross over to 2020, we have 16 bobbleheads and zero Lego. Wow. So it really tells you something, I think, particularly about the marketing and the the target audience of the show because you had in 2019 you had eight action figures which would probably be primarily the black All series black series yeah yeah you had uh one car you had five uh bobbleheads and 11 lego sets and the lego sets i mean they tend to be you know catering more to the younger audience even though there are collectors who do build the larger sets you don't have 11, you know, Death Star size sets coming out at the same time. You have maybe one. You know, you have a lot of the littler boxes that the kids can do on their own. Right. The bobbleheads, I feel like, are a collector thing, you know. Um, and so seeing the switch of that to 16 bobbleheads, I think, is really interesting for season two. Because not necessarily do I think that 
all of a sudden it's going to become dark and gritty and uh, you know, we're going to see blood and guts flying yeah. everywhere. But they can change the tone a little bit. Yes. I think you're, I think you have a much better grasp of your audience. Yeah. Which is interesting too, just because plot wise, my sense of where they left off in season one and kind of the mission that they're going to have to undertake in season two, I feel like that gives way to a lot more of the, you know, buddy action adventure kind of side mission thing than the premise for season one did. Well, and I think with season two, you have one, I tend to always like the sequels, not necessarily better than the originals, but I like the sequel like in anything, not just in star Wars, but I like the sequel to stuff better because you don't have to spend the time introducing the characters. You already know them. Uh, you already have a basic establishment of who they are and what they believe in. And so when you go into season two, I think you have one. I mean, you do have their their primary mission, but you have basically the freedom to take that wherever you want. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more when we get into our top three, bottom three. But I think you're at a point now in the story where you know what these characters are about. You know what they're main trials are going to be as we go through the series so now you have the freedom to insert more lore to bring in maybe characters that we know maybe even some new characters that will you know capture our hearts like quell and stuff so it's it's gonna be hard to wait for fall like honestly yeah <laughs> yeah but we got it we don't really have a choice i mean to it. yeah i don't know apparently we got to wait for the gamorians to get in shape the one guy's been doing some bench presses but <laughs> that's a real deep cut joke so hopefully oh, okay. everybody got it all right well we've already started talking about it it's mandalorian week here at clashing sabers i'm gonna take a minute i'm gonna just reflect on Cara Dune holding baby Yoda so I can find my center and then we're going to come back. All right. We are back. I still love the Cara Dune baby Yoda gif. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you should absolutely look at your phone while driving. Join the internet. <laughs> look at your phone while driving and do it because you know what? If you die, it was worth it. I love Cara Dune. Cara Dune is a badass and I I can genuinely say that she's been one, if not my most favorite character to play. I really love playing her. I, I love how confident and strong and still gentle she is. So it was just kind of like me, but you know, just more. And I loved that. I, it's kind of like me, but not like me. It's even more. <laughs> it's like even me. more like, like it's more me. It's me I kind of hope to be. You know? <laughs> I love um, that. And I just I, putting on her armor and putting on. I mean, I never got sick of it. I just wanted to continue putting it on. I have to share, Lindsay, this story. I'm rewatching Mandalorian now. Now, first of all, with Mandalorian, it's been one of the most exciting pieces of Star Wars for me because it's not something where people are coming to me saying, oh, what did you think of this? Or, oh, did you hear there's a new Star Wars movie coming out? People always ask me if I know a new Star Wars movie is coming out. I'm like, have you met me? Yes, of yes. course. Um, but they're not 
asking me, is it good? You know, should I go see it or anything like that? They're they're saying, oh my god, I watched it, and this is so good, and this is so good, and oh my god, what did you think? It's people are in, engaged in the conversation, and it's like a very different feeling. So we have four team members on our fifth grade team at school, and two of them also watch Mandalorian. So we send Baby Yoda gifts back and forth all the time. That's pretty fantastic. We talk about it. It's great. Over Thanksgiving, which I believe was Sanctuary, if I remember correctly, um, I my fiance's family, some of them were talking about Mandalorian. And so we ended up watching the episode together when it came out, which was super awesome because normally I'm just the, the nerdy Star Wars guy, right? Um, and we've watched a couple movies or whatever, but it's been like we watch the movie and people are on their phone also. But here it was like the three of us were sitting there, everybody engaged. So finally, we decided to do this episode and I asked Brooke, I'm like, are you going to want to watch it? Because if you're not going to watch it, then I'm going to watch it on my iPad while I'm doing stuff just to take notes or whatever. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Finally, she broke down and agreed to watch it. And most of the time when she watches Star Wars, she watches Star Wars to watch me react to Star Wars. The mall okay. reveal in Solo, my jaw hitting yeah. the ground, Leia getting sucked out of the ship in Last Jedi like she held my hand because, whew. Here, it's interesting because I get to watch her watching Star Wars. And we're watching it the other night. We were on uh, episode two. And I had literally, well, she fell asleep the first time for other reasons, not because it was boring. But I was like, okay, we can skip the whole Jawa thing. So I like went to like the important part of the episode, the Mudhorn part of the episode. She's like, no, I I need to watch all of it. Like I want to see the whole story. And I texted you guys this. We go up to the Jawas. I had been thinking earlier in the day, like Jawas are not that important and they're not that interesting. They're not scary. They're barely funny. And she, when they're walking to the Jawa camp, she goes, well, they're really creepy. And I was like, she reacted to it like vocally. And that doesn't, she doesn't do that very often. She's not one that talks to the screen. And that's happened a few times where she's laughed out loud or been like, that's really cool or whoa, or just actual reactions when, and she's not a Star Wars buff. Like she knows things only through me. So it's been really exciting to experience this series, not just in the fandom, but in the culture of our American society. No, it totally is. It's it's so funny when you mention, you know, like kind of getting a little frustrated when people come up, like, did you hear about the new movie? Are you going to see it? Did you like it? Cause it's like, guys, you know, I, I'm on it. And I really appreciate when people at work or people in my family make that effort but it's like that's not the way I like to talk about Star Wars. I don't like to talk about Star Wars the way it's like, did you see cats? You know, yeah. I and and now, though, to have this show where, like you said, people are connecting to it. They have those audible reactions to get to experience it for the first time in the same way as all these other people means so much to me. And it's so cool. And that's why you and I, you know, we've been talking the past few weeks about 
Gina Carano. And obviously, you and I both coming from fighting backgrounds, we've always loved her. But now getting to watch her experience this all with us, too. Like, it's so cool. You know, she's so embraced being part of this family. And it's it's the first time I think fans are so receptive to every single cast member that we were just introduced to. So that's also really refreshing, getting able to see people just welcome her, welcome Pedro with open arms and just responding positively. I'm just saying... Gina Carano did uh, repost one of my Instagram stories. So we're basically best friends now. So just, I wanted to. Yeah, I'd put you guys at that level. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so that's where she was going with that. No big deal. No big deal. I know she reposted everybody's, but she put emojis on mine. So <laughs> it's a thing. Uh, no, I, I I absolutely agree. It's 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 this thing that has just grabbed people and it's and the funny thing is it's not even because of baby yoda like baby yoda is its own i feel like its own separate thing you know compared to yeah what we're talking yeah. about with the mandalorian you know it's the 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 meme culture you know that that we live in but people aren't talking about oh have you seen baby yoda he's so cute people are like have you seen the mandalorian did you watch the latest episode? You know, like, oh, when the armorer did this, it was super cool. I'm going to come back to that later. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of people that are really excited about this. And whether it gets them more excited about the movies or not, I think it's it's a really good thing for Star Wars as a brand to have something that is pretty much universally accepted by all levels of fans like this, you know, um, because you have the the people who are deep into the EU and the lore and stuff, and there's plenty to pick out. But then, like we've been saying, casual fans, people who only know Star Wars by association can come in and, and really enjoy this show. So I just wanted to give that general impression uh, because I think it's important to the context of talking about this show because it has really been a game changer so like i said at the beginning of the show we're not going to focus on the the overall season or the uh in individual episodes we're going to leave that to mark um he has great work coming for you uh, later this week on forever star wars we are going to focus on moments our top three bottom three moments and the way we do this for those of you who are not familiar we start with the bottom three bottom three means things we didn't like things we thought didn't work things we would have changed adjusted removed anything like that um so basic critiques and then our top three are the things we think worked the best the things we enjoyed the most uh stuff that made us audibly react all that kind of stuff so we're going to start with the bottom three and our number three Lindsay, what is your bottom number three yeah so this is me being a little picky um and to be fair, I was actually really surprised by just overall what my bottom three moments were, because I do have to say when you and I were talking about, do we want to do our bottom three moments or our bottom three episodes? 
we decided to do moments because we figured there would be too much crossover if we focused on episode and there would be too much to unpack there. But overall, I do have to say that The Prisoner was my least favorite episode. I think a lot of people feel that way. But there wasn't a single moment that I really pinpointed as like, oh, that has to be in my bottom three. And it, you know, when you look at it moment to moment, like that episode kind of worked for what it was. I don't think I agree with the overall idea of that episode, but it was, it was still a pretty good episode. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was surprised that none of those made my, um, bottom three. That being said, what did make my bottom three, I was very surprised by, um, it was in episode seven, which I don't think I'm alone in saying it's one of my favorite episodes and I get why it's important. I just personally did not like the montage of him reprogramming IG-11. I thought it looked really visually clunky. It was a little weird because we were seven episodes in and we had never seen a montage like that before. It took me out of the story and overall I didn't necessarily need it. I think I could have gotten by with them just telling me that it happened or just seeing the way IG-11 was, or seeing that IG-11 was reprogrammed. I didn't need to see the step-by-step. So I would shockingly have to say that was not the worst of my bottom three, but it's in my bottom three. I think the idea there is to refresh you to the the capabilities of Quell and, you know, that he is you know, the honest, hardworking person who is, is always doing things for other people's best interest. But it, it does, when you put it in that, in the context that you're talking about, I think it fits if you have a 23, 24 episode season and you haven't seen him since episode two, but you've seen him in episode two, you have probably rewatched that episode and you know what kind of person he is. So I don't think you need to reestablish that. And I would even say it takes away some of the tension of Mando not trusting IG 11, which I don't think necessarily they wanted us to feel the tension between the two of them. I think we we're supposed to understand really the story about him and, and the issue he has with droids. But I think that you could have added a, another layer there by building up this tension that maybe this droid's going to turn on them and then he sacrifices himself despite the fact that Mandalorian never gave him even the opportunity to show that he had changed and been reprogrammed. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting pick. I hadn't I hadn't considered that, but it but thinking on it is one of those things that's just kind of like, okay, that's there. Yeah, and and I like your thought too. It kind of does more for is it Quell or Khalil? Uh, I call him Quell, Quell, right? Yeah, it's Quell. Yeah, we'll call him Quell for the sake, because um, I think you're right. But yeah, I I like the thought am. that it does more for. <laughs> don't let Drew here. <laughs> that it does more for him than anything else. 
But I don't know. Yeah, it was it was just a little clunky. It didn't really flow for me. But I I also have trouble saying you know this is in my bottom three without saying this is what should have been done instead. Because if I can't think of what I would rather do, then then why bother pointing it out? So I really like your kind of fix of letting them ride that tension a little bit more and giving us opportunities to see that IG-11 has changed and we can trust him. I think that that to me is another case for either why you take episode six out of the equation and replace it with something else or make this longer than eight episodes. I don't think anyone would mind, you know, 12 to 22 episodes of the show. Not at all. And if we're taking an episode out, we're definitely taking out episode five, but that's Mm. for another podcast. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. All right. So my bottom number three um, is the Mudhorn. Really? Because... The Mudhorn should have been a reek. That's it. That's the that's the tweet. <laughs> like that's so funny. So my ne- my nephew, five years old, right? He is obsessed with dinosaurs. Like he's one of those kids who just everything is like Dino this, Dino that, T Rex this, and he loves when I can either show him like little videos or little like galaxy of adventures of all of the creatures in star Wars, because we like playing the guess which dinosaur this would be. So I showed him the Mudhorn and the reek and he was obsessed with them because they both looked like dinosaurs. But he remembered when I showed him the Mudhorn, he actually remembered the reek, which I showed him like over the summer at five years old. And he, full on remembered it because they look so much like I'm telling you there is something about those three creatures in the Geonosis battle that just have stuck with me since I was 11 years old like I I don't like cats I love the Nexu like the Accolade is kind of stupid looking but I love him and the Reek is like I mean Anakin and Padme ride on him. I just, honestly, it comes down to the fact that I'm a prequel baby and it was an opportunity to pull the prequels in, just give them a quick nod. You can do the exact same thing. You, I mean, you don't even have to, you don't have to change the egg. You don't, because we don't know much about the Reek. And then you have that cool, like, nod that we've gotten in other places, and I just feel like it was a a missed opportunity here. Um, yeah, but you know that I wish I could say other fans, but we would also be those fans who were like, well, that's not the planet Arik comes from. That's not what George Lucas says. Like <laughs> there would be there would be so many rebuttals, I think, if you didn't absolutely stick to the exact environment that we saw Arik in. That's fair, but I also am getting worn out. And and this is partially because the creatures are just they're not my thing. Like it's not what I come to Star Wars yeah. for. Yeah. But I am getting a little worn out about having so many different things that are similar, like the Tuka Cat and the Loth Cat, and all the different uh, the the monster from Solo, the the Rathars. Like they're all very similar. And then you have this Mudhorn, which is pretty much 
like a reek, but not a reek. It's like either give me more variety in what you're presenting me or just make these creatures more populous, you know, and, and you can, I don't know, write a, a zookeeper comic about how he's gone mm-hmm. and taken a reek to another planet. <sighs> I don't know. I just I mean, I like what I really enjoy with the creatures and I wish they would do more often. Um, but I struggle with the live action stuff with the creatures sometimes because it's essentially just used as a plot device, you know, from the time that we have I would say starting with the Rancor and then going into even Geonosis, and I love those three. Um and then with the Rathars, now with the Mudhorn, it's, it's, I find that creatures are pretty much used as just a quick controlled environment. Heroes go on a little mini adventure thing. Um, you know, maybe that's, that's why Rogue One resonated with people a little bit more is because it didn't have that and it felt a little bit more realistic. But what I really like is in things like in Rebels with the Loth Wolves. Or yeah. even when we look at the um, the Doc Undar Galaxy's Edge comic book, they use creatures in such a different, unique way. There, you know, the the Loth wolves drive the story forward, and they drive the mystery of the Force forward. Whereas now, when things we have things like the Mudhorn, it's hard to continuously be crazy inventive and that's when we start having these repeats but then we also i think notice the repeats more because they're used in the exact same way you know we use this in the exact same way as the reek so it's i i think it's better not only just to have more variety in the creatures themselves but in the way we use the creatures yeah i i think you're spot on there and i really like the way that the mud horn was used and I think if you're looking at the overall thing with the the mudhorn, the when, signet and the signet and everything, I think I think it makes sense that it's not a reek, um, because I don't think you, would, I just don't think that's something they wanted to do was like take something and that's already been around and name the, the clan after it. It just kind of, again, Star Wars fans are going to make it really messy, but. Everything they did with the Mudhorn, I thought was great. Like, it didn't make my list, but the the Baby Yoda using the Force was in contention. It was great. Um, the thing that stood out to me when I just watched it this last week was Mando just holding up a knife and just like, he's not going to give up the fight, but he also knows he has nothing left. And I think I was so caught up the first time that the child could use the force that I missed that. And this time that really stuck out to me. So I think what they did was really cool, but come on guys, prequel and prequel creatures. All right. (laughs) Just a shout out. Yeah. Lindsay, number two. All right. My number two is from the gunslinger episode five, which also wasn't a crazy big, I we had two weeks there where I was actually starting to get worried about the show, to be honest. No, Um, no, no. You're wrong about the prisoner. That's why, but we'll keep going. (laughs) Well, for the gunslinger, um, if I had to pinpoint one moment for that one, um, that sums up why that episode didn't really work for me. It would be Toro Calican's intro 
You know, it was to me a, I get that it was a nod to a new hope. It was just such a forced nod where I had the reaction of get the hell out of that seat. Like that's, (laughs) that's not your seat. And then for him to just be such an over the top punk kid, instead of just a genuinely rough and tumble kid who really doesn't care about authority. To me, that whole character was just played up way too much to the point where it broke the story. And it all started with his introduction. I think that the issue comes in you're, you're going to, I mean, for lack of a better term, you're going to a holy site, you know, you, you don't go to Moss Eisley lightly in a star Wars story. Mm -hmm. And it felt like you went there lightly. Um, it, if the story is on Tatooine, but the exact same story could be told anywhere else, I don't think you need to to go there. You know, like I, that's one of my biggest. Wow, that's a good way to put it. Well, one of my biggest critiques of Force Awakens is the the Jakku Tatooine thing, because I think the Battle of Jakku, you make it Tatooine, it closes off the war that started. You know, back in episode one, basically, um, and that uh, that finishes the the Clone War slash Galactic Civil War that you know kind of one continued into the other, right? And then you have this planet that matters to Ray. Then you have that extra punch when she goes back at the end of Tross, right? So you you make it if you're gonna go there, you have to make it big, and it felt like it could have taken place in anybody's backyard. That said. I do. I didn't like him. I, I, I didn't like the whole intro the first time. I still don't really care for it being on Tatooine. But the him sitting there in Hansi with his feet up, playing with the coin. I really. I mean, I honestly, for what it is, I like it because I think it's it's yeah. showing us that this. I, I think the the point is, or at least my head canon is, the story of Han Solo has traveled across the galaxy to the point where this rich kid, because he doesn't care about the money, he only cares about the glory. This rich kid is like, oh, I'm just going to go become a bounty hunter so that I can have you know all this fame to go along with my fortune or whatever. So he's not as bad as I originally thought, but I'm with you there. There's something that feels. A little unholy, a little yeah. sacrilegious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> I feel dirty watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I last night I we watched it, and then I was gonna go on to the next episode, but I ended up watching uh, Clone Wars because I was like, I need I need something that doesn't make me feel bad. I yeah. felt. I feel I like I, that. I feel like I had to go take a shower or like yeah pray or yeah, something. Yeah, that, ep- that episode's a little rough to me. Okay, so my number one and number two have gone back and forth. Um, okay. I've been tossing them back and forth all week, but I finally made my decision. And mm. I think I think my number, this one's going to shock you. All right, so my number two is the face reveal in episode eight. Wow, you are two for two on the shocks so far. Here's why. I think it's really anticlimactic, and to an extent, to me, it feels like they're cheating. 
And the reason I say that is because you've built up over the course of these eight episodes, even even in The Gunslinger, you build up how he hasn't taken his mask off. You have Sanctuary, where he comes so close to doing it, and you can, Pedro Pascal's mask acting, um, or I, I guess that's, was his stunt double really for most of that episode. But the the mask acting that has happened in the show is just absolutely fantastic. You build up that nobody has ever seen him take his mask off. Okay. Simultaneously, you humanize this droid as a caretaker. You you make him feel like a person. And then it's the droid that takes the mask off. So technically nobody has seen him with his mask off right and i i I just feel like it's very like oh okay and his face looks like pedro pascal obviously like great actor cool dude but i feel like just he didn't look as i guess epic as i wanted the reveal to be uh, and I didn't like the fact that taking the mask off was just a mean, like, he just did it because he had to survive. I wanted him to, like, take it off to confront something, you know? I, I just wanted it to mean a little bit more than, yeah, I'm going to die, so I guess I have really no choice. And technically, a human won't have seen my face, so I guess it's okay. Uh, and and I, to add on top of that, I think to go back to what we were talking about before, the tension is really within the Mandalorian and not between those two characters. And so I think there is, while yes, he's trusting a droid, you don't get the gut punch of him trusting this droid. Mm. So I would say I, I definitely get the thought of wanting it to be a little bit more epic or wanting it to be that he has to confront something because i think that would have been really cool um i would say though what would have been the best option because i i didn't take that scene as we the audience now get to see his face what a fun little treat i took it as the the big takeaway was IG-11 had to be the one to point out that I'm not a living thing. After everything the Mandalorian's been through, at that point, he's actually able to have a total change of heart where he actually sees IG-11 as a living being, and he has to be told otherwise. So that was the big takeaway to me. I think it maybe would have been a little bit more effective if we didn't see it. You know, if we just saw IG-11 as he's taking the helmet off, so we, the audience, still don't have that insight, and it's still a little bit of a mystery. I personally, though, like the thought that he was so disheveled and he was so broken when we see him because it breaks the trope. You know, I figured that if and when we, the audience, got to see him, he would take his helmet off and it would be Pedro. You know, it would be that incredibly, just classically handsome face of Pedro. Um, Instead, though, we got this really broken, 
human who we could relate to. And it's like, yeah, it, it makes sense that if he's going through all of that, he's not going to look his best. Um, so I, I like the way they did it. I think there was room for improvement, but I think that you and I kind of had really different key takeaways for what that scene meant and why. Yeah. And I, I think more than anything, like I, I get the, the whole, you know, he hates droids and, and he's, I hadn't thought about the fact that he sees IG 11 as a living thing now, which is, is a much better read on it, I think, than, than, or optimistic read than I was, uh, was taking. I, I, I also think a big factor is taking off the mask in Star Wars has like, I, I don't know, for me, it has a, a history. Um, taking Vader's mask off was such a huge thing. And to, to watch, you know, a new hope and empire and most of Jedi and, and think of him as this monster, you envision this, this terrible thing underneath the helmet. And it, and it's not, it's somebody who you can, Sebastian Stan does such a great job. You, you can see the love he has for Luke in his eyes, right? Um, in force awakens when Kylo takes his mask off for the first time, you think you're going to see this villain and you see a boy who's lost. And so, Maybe I need to go back and and look at it again and, and focus more on, I guess the the acting that Pedro Pascal does and, and the read I can get on his face rather than the situation at large. But uh, yeah, it's just yeah. it's I'd not be, that yeah, it's bad. I'd be interested to hear if you if you change your mind. I mean, now I'm really curious about what your number one was, though. Well, we're going to get there, but you, you're up first. <laughs> All right. So mine is um, that Werner Herzog's character, the client, died. And it's not how he died. It's not why he died. I think all of that was phenomenal. And it's literally just the fact that he died. I would have loved to explore him a little bit more. I mean, I get that you probably have to make room for the big bad villain. Um, but... I don't. I really liked him. I I wish we had a little bit more time with him. I'm not gonna lie. I forgot he died, and now I'm really sad. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah, I mean, he's a compelling character. I mean, Warner Herzog. I mean, insert compelling character here. But there's there's something about the. You know, they talk about a lot about like cleaning up the the Imperial warlords and fanatics. It's not even that he's a fanatic. He's not crazy like some of the the people that we've seen. He really truly believes in the Empire. You know, and, and yeah, he, I mean, we can we can assume, but that's the problem. We don't really know him. I mean, I think there's enough with him saying, you know, talking about restoring the natural order of things and when he's talking about how things were, were so much better during the Empire. I feel like there, there's enough there. But I do agree with you that we definitely... And see, this is one of the hard things about, like, not having any ancillary material to go with it. It's like, do we It's hope? a lot of assumptions. It yeah. is a lot of assumptions, but there's also, like... 
we we can't even like hope right now that it's okay. We'll we'll see him more in a comic or we'll read about him more in a book mm. because we don't have those things. He's such a good character. He's so good. I could watch him all day. I mean, it's just the right. It's I think the right level of mystery. And I don't know, maybe he is the rare exception in Star Wars and what we're used to where maybe it's just better not to know. Maybe it's better having him be that mysterious guy. You know, if we're going to get all of our our Yoda questions answered now for the first time ever, maybe they should have one in their back pocket who we just don't know. Well, I don't think we're getting our Yoda questions answered, but... I do agree that the sense of mystery and that's something that I think through the years Star Wars has has maybe lost a little bit of, you know, as we've explained the life story of every cantina character yeah. and and every imperial officer and even books like a certain point of view where there's there's some good stuff in there but like I never needed a Dianoga story, let alone a Dianoga that can use the force story. <laughs> you know, like it, it gets to a point of overkill. And so to have not only this mystery with him, but you also have the mystery with the doctor. And, you know, is that a, a Camino cloner symbol on his arm or is it something similar? And if it's something similar, what does that mean? You know, like why does the client have access to all this Beskar, you know, was he a part of the Great Purge? There's a lot of stories that could potentially uh, be told with him involved. Um, and, I, and I do hope we, whether it's, you know, more with Werner Herzog, which I highly doubt, but yeah, I do want other stories there. And I think he is a character that you can fit in nicely as somebody who has been playing in the background this whole time and and not have him be like somebody like pride who is, you know, dedicated to the emperor himself, but somebody who believes in the empire. Yeah. You kind of get the feeling that he really does have different ideals when he talks about, you know, was life better before the purge? It doesn't seem like he's saying it really to be manipulative it's almost like he's genuinely asking, like, hey, the, how how is this better than what we had? You know, it's, it, I don't know, it didn't strike me as I'm going to pull these strings in some kind of a clever way. It was like a genuine conversation. Yeah, he's not a puppet master for sure. I don't yeah. think he's a puppet master. He's He's somebody who, I think he literally like puts his cards on the table and is like, now beat me, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, going on to my number one. My number one has bugged me since the very second I saw it. It has continued to bug me, and it's actually a a set of moments, so I'm cheating, but you know what? Nobody's here to stop me. <laughs> so it's every single time we see the fobs because they make... Absolutely no sense. I didn't know you felt that way. They make no sense. 
how are they tracking these people? Is there something planted into everybody in the galaxy with a particular code that they can program it to to track it? Does it recognize DNA? Is this is there something that they put in these people? Like it's tracking particular bounties and it's blinking as you get closer to them, which is its own set of problems because you're in this gigantic galaxy and you're just using a blinking compass to try to get around. But I'll give them that because it's Star Wars and the technology, you know, is the technology. The problem is you're using it to hunt these people, but you're not establishing what it is that those people have that is is attracting the fob to them. So what's in Baby Yoda? Because if there's something in him, if something recognizes his DNA or his species or what, we need to know that. Because they're coming after him, okay? So I'm worried about him. But- I I can't argue with you. I just, here we are, almost two months after this started coming out. This is the first you have ever mentioned this. It's it's something I've kept quiet. I, I'm sh- I didn't know you felt this way, but it makes sense. It the it doesn't. That's the problem. Well, well, I know, you're, I know what you're saying. Disgust for it makes sense. It just really Man, like you were, I, <laughs> you were really holding on to this, weren't you? It has like I've tried to get over it. I've tried to let it go for the purpose of the story because story comes first, and I'm fine if some things are not, you know, completely in depth thought out every angle, but. It doesn't even make a semblance of sense how these things work. Like, they're tracking individual people, but what do these individual people have? Is there some kind of marker? Like, and if there is some so kind just, of marker, what does it mean? I just... I, I just want to get this straight. You really had to go back and forth between the face reveal and your really deep reasoning for what it meant for the character and what it meant for the story and how it impacted us for the audience and what that face reveal meant. You went back and forth between that and the key fobs. Yes. That's okay, how just checking. just checking. I understand where we're at because okay. The face feel, the face reveal feels like it should be number one, right? Because It's like a big moment, so it feels like the number one moment. But if we're talking like how it actually impacted us and our enjoyment of it, like the Mudhorn not being a reek, I was like, oh, man, that stinks. And the face reveal, I was like, okay, I... It is what it is. Like, it, it didn't blow my mind. It's not what I was expecting, but there, you, you know, you go with expectations. This is just, I'm a person. I can think. That's it. Like, I, I don't know. I've I mean, tried. It was, pretty, it, it was pretty in your face throughout, I think, maybe every episode. Pretty much. I, th- I think it was in every episode. I think maybe not episode two. No, it was because remember the uh, Transosian bounty hunters had it. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, see what I'm saying? Maybe not six. Mm, yeah, because they didn't have the fob to track the the prisoner. So, 
Yeah. I don't know. It just it's grinds my gears. I think it's going to annoy me for the rest of my life. It's the the only thing about the show that I literally do not like. Like the mudhorn thing, the face thing, they're not my favorites. I feel like they could have been done a little differently, but it does not hurt my enjoyment of the the show at all. This literally every time it comes on the screen, I'm like, does it make any sense? Well, I got to say, Brandon, you have kept me on my toes on this one. I try. Didn't see it coming. So now we're going to go to our tops, which I feel like, uh-huh. I mean, there's a lot here that we can get into. So I'm really excited to see because I actually have like my list. And as we've been recording, I've been looking at my list and I realized that I forgot something that was supposed to be <gasps> on my list. So I have actually readjusted said list. Ooh. I've been fighting all I week. I can't wait to find out what it is. Guys, I'm telling you, like, I'm usually done with my notes, like, beforehand. I've thought through this stuff. Like, I've written, I've typed things out. I literally finished these notes 10 minutes before the show started because I was so back and forth on what was going to go into my top three. And, Lindsay, I know you said you were, you're very similar. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny because I think that with the movies, I've gotten really good at uh, listing out all of the many things that would be on both my top and my bottom list. And I've been really creative about finding ways to bundle things together to say like, Oh, this was my top three. And here are some examples of when they did that. But this, that we're doing like actual moments. I have so many honorable mentions for this. Oh yeah, for sure. And well, and like, I'm, I'm sure just because, of of time and everything this will probably not be as long as our bottom but normally our bottom three goes on for a pretty long time just because we're really digging into like it cinematically it thematically like all the different angles and we're really talking about those moments in particular but if you think about what we were just talking about like we didn't talk a lot about the actual like thing itself like for example the mud horn we didn't talk a lot about the mud horn itself we talked a lot about star wars creatures and how they're telling stories with them so it's not like we even talked about the things we don't like that much it's just it's crazy how good this show is so all right take it away you're number three i mean well before i do too i just want to jump on that because I think that normally when we talk about what we don't like we have to defend why we don't like it and we have to defend why it doesn't work but in this even those things that we we listed as our bottom three that we say don't work like they can do <laughs> over except maybe the fobs they all kind of still work um, well and the fob serves its purpose for the story Yes, for the plot. Yeah, so. Um, but, all right, so regardless, my top three. This is, again, lots of honorable mentions. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. All right. All right, I'm locking in. These are my final answers. My number three, um, one of the coolest moments in this show, in almost any show, would be episode three when all of the Mandos come out of hiding because that meant 
so much. You know, number one, it was a shock. It was such a shock because we are there. There's the beautiful music playing. Mando's looking at baby Yoda. He thinks this is the end. We as the audience have almost accepted that this is the end. And I genuinely thought watching that episode that morning that the rest of the show would be the Mandalorian in captivity and trying to get out. I genuinely thought that was going to be the plot of the show. And then to have that shock of Mando's come out of hiding and knowing what it means for them, knowing the sacrifice they made, knowing that this was probably done or at least should have been done reluctantly, but knowing what we do about Mandos, they probably did it with such great honor and such great enthusiasm. And then on top of all of that, it was just cool to watch. Like, it was just good. It was fun. And it felt like a Clone Wars episode come to life. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it though it did work in a way that I don't think an animated show could, and I struggle to say that because the Clone Wars means so much to me. Rebels means so much to me. But still seeing something in live action, you do connect with it a little bit more. So it was like something that they would have dared to try in Clone Wars, being such a daring show. But it just resonated ten times more. Um, I don't know. I would say maybe seven times more. I don't know if I would go full 10, but. <laughs> right. All right. That's fair. But like, if you think about, for example, the mall reveal in Solo, that was really cool because it was like, oh, hey, this piece of information that we got over here in Clone Wars has now impacted this story that they're telling. Right. Same thing with like Ahsoka's voice in Rise of Skywalker. With this, though, it's different because I feel like it's a story that in and of itself is a story that is on par with Clone Wars, or you could flip it and say Clone Wars is on par with it, which I, it, in a weird, like, connected way, I think it validates the animated series more. Not that it necessarily needs it, you know, for me in particular, but there's like a weird, like, okay, it, it's multi-layered. It's like, okay, so Filoni was obviously a part of this, so he's, you know, doing something there, um, but it's got that same feel of a Clone Wars show, but like you said, it does have that emotional weight of being live action, and you know that there's only a few of these people left. It's not like when we were on Mandalore and Clone Wars. Oh, yeah, and it just felt infinite. So cool. I mean, it's it's one of those, like, pump-up moments. It's like Rocky meeting, you know, getting to the top of the stairs. You can't help but just feel like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's energizing, yeah. It really is. All right, my number three is one that when I was initially like thinking of my list before we started rewatching was not on the list was not even in my mind but on rewatching it it's so good and it is the baby Yoda reveal it Ooh. is so good 
And it's you just, know, now that you say that, I feel like an idiot for not having that on my list. Well, it's multi-layered because there is the whole like fandom knew that there was some big secret in episode one that was, as they said, cannon shattering um, or altering or whatever, you know, and obviously this was and, and there's that attachment to the moment in that we did not expect it to be Yoda species at all. Like of all the things we could have thought of, that probably would have been like way down on the list, right? But I think it would have been quickly dismissed if anyone even thought it was a possibility. Right. Especially to see it as, as you know, such a young child. Yeah. But just cinematically how it's done is so good. You know, you have this egg that, you know, he's basically born from. Um, you pan around the back and you see the ears first like even watching it again this time there was a part of me that didn't believe it was true when i just saw the ears i was like oh is it is it it is and it's just like they they each shot stays there for the exact amount of time that it needs even the i mean and then you have the the moment of of mando shooting ig11 which is i mean that's just pretty cool because you're like oh, he didn't even hesitate there but you at that moment you're thinking okay he's doing it because the client wants him brought in alive right and mm-hmm. the rest of the series is going to be about him you know returning this child and and maybe he has problems with how they do things or whatever but then he reaches his finger out and you have that Sistine Chapel moment of father reaching down to child. So good. Wow. Uh, like, yeah. Oh my God. I can, it's so funny to listen to you talk about it. Cause I can visualize every single second and it really is just so good. And the way he like pulls down the blanket it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it really is. But yeah, that is that is one of, but certainly not the only time during the show where I had a, you know, screaming at the TV, oh my God, kind of moment. Yeah, it was like, I'm glad I didn't watch it in the morning when it came out because I don't think I would have been able to function the rest of the day. It was tough. As someone who did watch it in the morning when it came out, it was very, very tough, especially going into work and everyone asking, like, if you watched it, it was so difficult to be like, yes, and guess what happened? You know, you kind of just having to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, let you let me know when you watch it. Oh, so good. I wanted to just like have when I texted you guys and I was like, are we doing moments? Are we doing overall? What, what do we want to stick with? Because I was struggling to decide between Baby Yoda moments. Uh, but that was the one. That's my only Baby Yoda moment. I limited myself to one. Ooh, good for you. So we're going to mix it up. So now taking it to your number two. All right. So just like you, I limited myself to only one moment of my all-time favorite, um, Cara Dune. Yeah. And again, just having to limit it to one moment, just like you with Baby Yoda, I would have to say her real 
introduction. Um, you know, we see her kind of quickly in the bar, but I don't think we are truly introduced to her until that awesome fight scene. Oh my and God. Again, I know, yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I know that this is kind of our thing. Um, but no, no, to no. be able to see that cool combat, nice, clean, crisp, you know, and this, this one I know came out Thanksgiving week, um, because my sister was staying with me. And she came up for Thanksgiving. She hadn't watched the show at all. But I actually made her watch that with me. You know, I watched it in the morning before she woke up. And when she woke up, I was like, you have to see this because it is the best hand-to-hand combat I've ever seen. It doesn't overdo it. It is just a realistic, you would see this in an MMA fight, you know exactly where everyone is. It's all possible. It looks good. And aside from that, what an amazing way to meet a character and a good guy, nonetheless. You know, they, she just drops in and starts beating the crud out of our main character. And she, too, is a good guy. Like, how bold can you be when introducing a character? They did it. They nailed it. You mentioned that this is, like, our thing because it's, like, you know, the fighting and stuff. My number two, the Kara and Mando fight. Nice. Yeah. Yes, because it's so good. It's so good. Like, and the fact that, like, she outsmarts his technology to start it off, you know, and sneaks up on him, but then... How it ends, I mean, with them pointing the guns at each other and then Baby Yoda just... Baby Yoda just sipping away. Sipping his little chicken broth. But yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's realistic. It You feel every shot. Um, the, the camera has just enough shake to it. Like, I don't like shaky camera, but it moves, like, with the impact of her punches. And the fact that... I think for the whole series, you know, we, we have this, especially as, you know, deep Star Wars fans, this idea of Mandalorians as these badasses who, who you know, can show up and just win the day. And we've seen the Mandalorian just get beat up by a bunch of Jawas, you know, but then, you know, he's over, he's outnumbered then. But then you have him, like, facing off with somebody who, you know, would be on his level and she just absolutely whoops up on him destroys him it is great and then just the the fact that they go and they sit and have a drink after that like i don't know there's just something about it you just i i couldn't have asked i i know you and i talked a lot about you know what we wanted out of cara dune we were both very excited to have gina carano in star wars but then, like, I was texting you guys once we got through episode three that I was getting legitimately upset that we hadn't seen her character yet. Uh, and I was really worried that she was... I, I was worried that we were going to get these great characters but only have them for an episode or two. I was worried that, you yes. know, IG-11 yeah. we get rid of, Quell we get rid of. You know, we don't even have Cara Dune yet, but that's... So far, they've shown us they give us these characters for an episode and then take them away from us. And then to get her back 
to to get her first of all in that way to start their story off that way and then the story beats that they've had since then um have just been pure gold i mean i would say it's it's daring you know and i've really been enjoying listening to gina carano talk about this character and the design of this character and apparently you know if i if i'm remembering this correctly she kind of didn't want to have that super strong badass vibe to it she said she was actually really self-conscious about having her arms show and she felt like you know, that was one of her insecurities. She didn't really want to put that out there. And it was John Favreau who came to her and he was like, no, I want people to see, you know, this is a really strong character. This is something you should be proud of. And we want this. We, we don't want this to just look good in a uniform. We want her strength to really be part of this core and who she is. And I, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. Oh, yeah. And, and I think... Like, if you go back and you look at pictures of Gina Carano when she was fighting, you know, she was very thin, um, which looking at her now, you know, she is she is thicker. She looks more so, you know, like a, a shock trooper would look right. And I love that not only for the, the you know, body positivity aspect of it, but they could have been like, we need you back like as this, as the fighter, you know? And she probably yeah, could have done absolutely. it, but they were like, no, this is who you are. And the character needs you as a part of it that I just absolutely love. Because then when she's on screen, you feel her owning it. Like she's great in Deadpool, love her in Deadpool, but you do feel like she's just like, she's filling the role. You know, she's she's playing this trope that she needs to play. Whereas here, you can feel her making this character her own. The way that she, you know, leans back, the, the side eye that she gives Mando about uh, going and helping the village in the middle of nowhere. Like, the this might have made my list. I, I honestly forgot to consider it. But that moment when... She's sitting on the porch and she's like, you're going to let that beautiful young <laughs> widow go. And I'm like, yes. Yes. Oh, I'm Dude, like, I you get that, it. I love that entire friendship. Oh, they're like, like, I honestly, the, I sh my only real like letdown, like the face reveal, you know, it just wasn't, I don't think it was as epic as, as I wanted it to be, but the only thing I, I'm a little bit let down about going into season two is that they're not going to team up together. Like, I'm sure we're going to get her back, but yeah, cause she, she is back for season two. I just, I wanted, I want the three of them as one little like platonic family, you know, just Mando yeah. and Kara and baby. I got it. I got it. Preach it to the choir here. I know. I know. I'm greedy. Yeah. All right. We're on number one. And I've been running my mouth, so it's your turn. All right. Um, my number one, this was another really big shocker. You know, we had mentioned the shock of Baby Yoda, and they ended the season the same way they started with 
us all, or at least anyone who has kept up with Legends or the animated series, but watching Gideon come out of that TIE fighter with the Black Saber. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Did you know what it was at first? Oh, my God. I did. I did. And the whole time I'm sitting there screaming at my, on my couch going, no, no. And, and all I could think was how many people am I going <laughs> to explain it to? So sure enough, a good friend of mine, you know, I, I would wake up early and I watch these all before work. Um, good friend of mine was coming into work who I work with. And when he was on the train, I knew that that's when he would be watching it. So I'm sitting there before leaving for work. I'm like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then right away, Drew texts me and goes, what was that? So I texted him the explanation and I screenshotted it. And all weekend, whenever someone texted me to ask what it was, I just I just send them the screenshot of everything that I wrote to him because I was like, this is amazing for the people who know what it is and for the people who don't know Oh my God, what a great way to bring them in. I even had one person um, text me that they they want to know more about it, but they they were interested in watching it themselves. They go, can you just tell me what episodes of Clone Wars and Rebels that I have to watch? And they they did it. They went back, they watched those episodes, and now that alone has gotten them to start all of Clone Wars. It's so much fun, and it's just so cool for us to get this payoff and to all be talking about this. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize what it was at first, and I think it's because of the shock factor of, like, it's so cool, and it's so... I mean, I think for for a while, fans kind of discounted that it was a possibility. I don't even know if I discounted it. I don't think I ever thought about it. Like, I just figured they were telling their own story, especially because the things that we have gotten about Mandalorians here with the Great Purge we haven't seen, you know, the not taking off the helmet is not something that we've seen before. Mm. They're creating their own mandalorian lore and i don't mean that they're creating something that is is you know antagonistic towards what we have already i'm sure we're going to get more uh you know integration between those those different things but i was just like they're telling their own story you know um yeah these are mandalorians way past when we would have seen the mandalorians and so I honestly thought it was a vibroblade at first. I was like, oh, that's a cool vibroblade. You did, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, I'm with you. It was great. I'm excited that more people are are watching Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, me too. I was so pleasantly surprised because when, when my friend texted me that, I figured, you know, she might follow through with it. She might not. I definitely did not think she would go on to watch Clone Wars, though. And it'll be interesting, too, to see, you know, once we get to season two, what kind of role it plays. Because, you know, the armor talks to the Mandalorian about finding, you know, Baby Yoda's clan, which, or, you know, his people, which people are assuming 
means Yoda's species. I think she means the Jedi. I think we're we're heading to some connection to the Jedi. I think the Darksaber mm. supports that even more. That maybe that's something that Luke or, or one of you know his Jedi has an involvement in or, or something like that. Like there's a lot of possibilities with it, but I, I like that we're getting not just into like, oh, hey, that cool thing is from Clone Wars, but like that's deep Mandalorian mythology type stuff and, yeah. and lore. And I mean, you're the lady of lore. Of course you're into it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it. I think it's great. Yeah, that was, that was a good one for me. Just so shocking. All right. So mine is nowhere near as like deep or impactful as yours, but it was shocking for me. This was, I'm not, when I'm watching a show, I'm very rarely like a, a jump up out of the seat or, you know, loudly react to the TV kind of person. Like, Literally, Kanan's death did that. Um, Ahsoka in the World Between Worlds did that. Most of the last four or five episodes of Rebels did that. Um, but other than that, like even the Baby Yoda moment, I was like in my head about it, but I wasn't jumping up and down about it. This moment happened, and I was just straight up like, what just happened? It's not going to be what you're expecting. It's when the armor cracks the stormtrooper so hard in the face that the entire side of his mask just shatters open. Oh, that was so that was really good though. We have never seen anything like that. Like I was like, did that really just happen? Like I said that out loud. Oh. It was amazing. It was I mean, one, to see this character who obviously is important to these Mandalorians that remain, uh, you know, the Beskar means a lot to them. It's almost like a holy practice what they're doing there for their culture. And, and you almost assume or accept that she is not a... Mandalorian in terms of like a warrior like we usually see. You know, we won't see her yeah, on the front lines. Yeah, she felt like a historian kind yes. of. Yes. Oh, that's such a good way to say it. And then yeah. But then but then she wasn't. Nope. And she yeah. just And you think she's like defeated, she's, you know, accepting her fate. She, you know, is down on her knees and then next thing you know, I mean, the melee fight in and of itself is gr- just fantastically executed you have all these characters who are in armor so it's it's there's an added level of like mystery and intrigue there because it's almost like a self-insert but then i mean just visually the the face mask just busting open was i mean i know it's not super deep but it really Every time I tried to put something else there, I just came back that to... That kept coming back? Yeah, because I was like, if it's on my list, it's got to be number one. So it was either... It wasn't going to be on my list, or it was going to be number one. And every time I took it off, I would replace it with something else. Didn't do it the same, so... 
I mean, I get that is a hard one to top, though. Like, that's a really, really difficult one to try and outdo. Just because that's also a moment, and maybe this is something to do with it, though, too, where the stakes are real and the stakes are high. That's something that overall with this show, I think they did a great job of just consistently reminding us that anything could happen at any moment. This, I wouldn't put it at the same level as Game of Thrones in terms of, you know, bad things could happen and you never see it coming. But when they go into those sewers and all that Mando armor is there. It's like, oh, this could really happen. You know, these stormtroopers can come in and they really could kill this armor. And that would be it for the Mando people. That would be it. I I did not think she was going to walk out of there. No, I not at all either. And it makes you like wonder having that happen in the same episode mere minutes from your moment with the dark saber gets you wondering about who's underneath that mask. And if it is somebody that we know, I don't necessarily think it is, but because of what you introduce with the dark saber and you show her as not only somebody with great leadership skills, great, you know, attachment to Mandalorian history, but someone who can kick other people's ass pretty quickly you know, you start thinking Bo-Katan and, and characters like that. Um, there's a lot of potential there. It's it's very... it. This show is just really exciting. And, and I almost wish they hadn't announced that season two was coming before because I think the stakes would have been even in higher in that last episode, not only with the armor, but then also with the moments, you know. You could tell this story and kill everybody at the end. Like you could have ended season one with all of them dying. And you've made the point of this character who was all about himself now giving himself to other people. It's not going to be as good as we're going to get it over the, the span of this series, I'm sure. But you've, you've made that point. That theme is there. Um, I think the tension would have been even higher if we didn't know season two was coming, but season two is coming and there's so much, there's so much, so many directions it could go. Yeah, all of them good. Oh yeah. Well, and all most of the time, I I wish that seasons were shorter. Like especially like I think of the CW, like Flash and and uh, Supergirl and stuff like that. I'm like, you could have cut out ten episodes here, easy. And even some of the streaming shows, I'm like, all right, you could have cut this out. You could have cut that out. With this, even the stuff, there's lots that you could cut out, but I want so much more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna say it. This is up there in top favorite Star Wars things. Like, we'll have to see, you know, over the arc of the series where it goes. But if things continue the way that they are going to continue, this is going to be Clone Wars Rebels level of how much I watch and love this, this series. Yeah. I mean, it looks promising so far. It, it really does. And I am a little bit shocked to hear myself say that. I knew that this show would be 
good. And I had been saying that I think the entire point of the show was really to get more people involved and bring more people into these stories. I just didn't know how good it was going to be and how many risks they were really going to take. But they they shocked me with it. Yeah, I mean, they they've really, you know, told their story and, and had a really tight story to tell. Um, and I'm telling you, man, like, I will watch anything John Favreau even like read the script of. Like, I don't care. John Favreau and Dave Filoni together. It's just a powerhouse. And then you throw in people like Deborah Chow. You throw in Taika Waititi. Bryce Dallas Howard killed it. Sanctuary is definitely my favorite episode. So you're bringing in all these people. You have two people at the head who are storytellers first. You know, that's something mm-hmm. that I've been talking talking a lot about recently. I think I, I mentioned it on the Megacast. When Kathleen Kennedy steps down... I think she's earned the right to stay if she wants to stay, but I I want somebody who is primarily a storyteller first at the head of Lucasfilm because I feel like that's what George was. And as good as Kathleen Kennedy is, as amazing of a person as she is, as the great work she's bringing Star Wars back, I feel like she's a business person first and a storyteller second. Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, I feel like are story people and that's where where Star Wars needs to be at to to continue on forever like we are saying that it's going to do. I think that's a great way to put it. You know, I'm a, I personally am a big Kathleen Kennedy fan. I realize that not everyone is, but I think that distinction right there is the perfect way to phrase it. Um but stories like this, I mean it it gives you hope. 100% gives you hope for what's going to be be coming down the line yeah i mean if you had said a few months ago that we would be probably more excited for the streaming shows than we were the movies there's no way that's crazy so all right well we will obviously be talking about the mandalorian a lot more um as time goes on and seasons go on and of course if you are subscribed to the network you'll get another mandalorian episode later this week that'll be a lot better than this one because forever star wars is amazing the best. Uh, it's so good. So um, definitely make sure you are subscribed there. You will get all the podcasts on the network. Before we go into the whole closing and everything like that, I want to just send out a huge heartfelt thank you to all of you who participated in our fundraiser, whether you bid or donated or retweeted or shared or told your friends. Um we set our goal for $300. We wanted it to be something realistic. Um, we shattered that. We did $526 um, in fundraising between donations and the auction. Um, it's just, just like it's it's mind-blowing to me that I was – you know, a couple weeks in, and I'm like, and now I've got to set a new goal so that I'm still motivated to continue to to promote this and stuff like that. And so I really, truly, I, I know all of us, I have to speak for all of us here, really, truly appreciate the support. We've already got some teachers that we are lined up to send books to and surprised with care packages. So you are doing an amazing job uh, as a Clashing Sabres community, and Thank you. I mean, there's not really much more I can say other than thank you. I really mean it. 
Yeah. No, it's it's incredibly humbling. And we, you know, I'll also speak for the whole team here. We're excited to keep this going. You know, this fundraiser, we are floored by the success, but it, we also realize that it is just the start. There's still a lot to be done, but I, we're really excited to get to be the ones to do it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. And we hope you guys stick around for the ride. It's it's going to be a good one. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we'll have more fundraisers coming um, at different events and, and drives that we're going to do where we're really going to push, uh, you know, getting uh, getting money all collected at one time, I guess, is, is the best way to say it. But we're also uh, going to start a Patreon. I've got things set up. We just have to um, get it out there. But if you're somebody who you're like, I you know, can't afford $20, you know, at one time or $50 at one time or whatever it may be. Um, but I could do a dollar a month. Um, we will be saving those funds to, uh, go towards getting more star Wars books into classrooms and stuff like that. So again, stay tuned here because we've got a lot more coming. Uh, it's all going to be centered around bringing you guys the best star Wars content we possibly can, but also, creating the star Wars community and, and supporting each other and building that next generation, because I'm telling you what I've calculated how many books we're going to be able to get. And we're going to impact a lot of kids. Um, and, and you never know if the dollar that you donate is going to be the one that gets a kid into reading and, and makes them a star Wars fan for their whole life. So, Again, thank you to everybody. Stay tuned to the network to to find out more about that. If you have a teacher that you would like to nominate, we do have a nominate the teacher nominated teacher page um, on our website. Uh, I you can submit those anytime, regardless of if we're running a fundraiser or not. I'm keeping a spreadsheet going of that so that we can uh, try to reach again as many kids and as many teachers as we possibly can. So. That is all for that. Follow us uh, on Twitter to stay tuned for all that stuff, Clashing Sabers. Uh, you can come join our, our uh, community, speaking of Star Wars community, over on Facebook. The star, uh, What do we call it? The Clashing Sabers Star Wars community. That's it. There it is. I should have named it something easier than that. But you know what? That's what it is, and we're sticking to it. Um, so you can yeah, definitely... We're, we're in too deep. <laughs> yeah, it's too late now. Um you can, of course, uh, read our articles. Lindsay has put out a couple amazing articles on Episode 9 recently over on ClashingSabers.net, and that is going to be your hub to find anything uh, Clashing Sabers that you want to. So, Lindsay, tell them if they want your insightful Rise of Skywalker insight or just to hear you shout about how much you love Cara Dune, where can they find you? Oh, well, you guys can, of course, find me at The Clashing Sabers um, right over on the main website, ClashingSabers.net, or also in the Facebook group. I'm always lurking around there. Uh, but if you want me directly, you can get me on Twitter at The Lady of Lore. Awesome. And just to close out, we've got a lot of new listeners who have come on uh, the past couple months, so we just wanted to say welcome. We are glad that hey, you're guys. here. We appreciate you. Um to everybody who is here, we would really appreciate it if you would go leave us a rating and review on your uh, podcatcher of choice. Um, send me a quick email at clashingsaversnetwork at gmail.com or tweet or whatever. Let me know you did that, and I will read it on the show. But not only does 
that get more people listening to the shows, which is, I mean, pretty awesome and gratifying for us. But more importantly, it gets the Clashing Sabers name out there more, which is going to be able to, again, promote what we're doing here to try and get more books into uh, the hands of kids. So any and all help is appreciated. We love you guys. We look forward to not just 2020, but the next decade of podcasting with you. That's a little mind blowing, but there it is. I've shattered your mask open. Batch eight. Hi, ho. We need to make like a shirt or something with that on it. Yeah, we do. That would be really good. Also, oh, did you just close out by saying I shattered your mask open? Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's what I do. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it. It's ours. They made it. It's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.